Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to everyone out there who is listening and watching today. It is a new tea time, and I am joined with an incredible man, Jeff Rosley, and he's going to sit and have tea with me, Miss Liz, and we're going to talk about a bunch of different things. We're going to bring some adventure to the table, some books, some nonprofits, and some good old laughter to the table because we all need that this time of year. So I'm going to Continue with the disclaimer and then we're going to bring Jeff in and we're going to sit and we're going to share and spill some good tea today with each and every one of you out there. For Miss, the disclaimer for Miss Liz is the live tea, tea time shows. I'm Miss Liz is going live on StreamYard.com and before leaving a comment, please grant StreamYard the permission to use your name at StreamYard.com. Please be advised that the content brought forward for any Tea Time show hosted by myself, Miss Liz, is always brought forward in good faith, however may bring for dialogue and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the given time of airing. All Tea Time guests and audience participation are responsible for using their good judgment in taking any action they may relate to this discussion. The content brought forward may include discussions of some where that may be emotionally at risk. It is significant to know that this show is engaging in discussion forms only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about this disclaimer or the panelists discussion, you may freely contact me, Miss Liz, through my email at bookiemissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in this show in any aspect, I welcome you. Should you decide that this show is not made for you at this time, I respect that and we'll see you at a future show at a later date. Now I'm going to bring in Jeff. Welcome, Jeff. Hello, Liz. Good so to I'm going to... Jeff, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to get you to introduce yourself. <laughs> Because you have such an incredible, incredible bio. You have some incredible words that are in there that I probably would turn around and say it wrong. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself to my viewers and listeners today. Well, um, my name is Jeff Raisley, and uh, I'm here in Indianapolis on a beautiful, warm day. I uh, grew up in a small city, Goshen, Indiana and went to college at University of Chicago, and then I went to law school at Indiana University Law School, and I also graduated, graduated from Christian Theological Seminary. I practiced law for 30 years. Um, I lead treks and mountaineering expeditions over in the Himalayas. I've written 13 books and many, many articles, uh, a lot of them about adventure travel and combining that with a 
kind of a spiritual connection. Uh, and I serve on a number of nonprofit boards and I started a foundation over in Nepal uh, called the Basa Village Foundation, which uh, works on infrastructure pro projects in the remote area of Nepal called Basa. So how's that? Is that enough? There you go. Wow. See, and, and there's a, a lot more. So if you want his full bio, check out Miss Liz's Tea Times, making a difference on my Facebook page. His full bio is there. Incredible, incredible bio. You have really, truly done a lot, Jeff. When I read your bio, I was like, wow, this is a man who has really made a difference. And I had put you as self-awareness. And the reason that I put you as self-awareness is when we were communicating back and forth, you had said something about is this really all there is and i really want to get into that why you stated that and why I, I believe that is one of your books as well right yeah um that's uh kind of one of the themes of a book called you have to get lost before you can be found there it is and, that's the one. yeah and it's it, it's sort of um is a, a narrative uh, with a number of kind of stories um, about my uh, relationship with the country of Nepal, and the 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 is this all there is? Uh, quote comes from I turned forty, was having what my wife uh, accurately described as a midlife crisis, um, which is very, it's a very strange thing because life was wonderful. I had two, two boys that I, I love being a father with and coaching sports teams and all the things that went with that. I had a really uh, nice law office, uh, good practice, and um, it just seemed there was still something missing. And my wife realized what was missing is that because of, I was so busy with law and uh, being the senior partner in a small firm and taking care of the, you know, helping co-parenting and all the things that went with that, I had not done something that I used to do regularly, which was adventure travel. So I came home from the office one day and my wife Alicia slapped this brochure down on the table in front of me and said, why don't you go do this? And it was a brochure about um, tracking the Mount Everest Base Camp Trail over in Nepal. And so she, <laughs> I like to say she was telling me to cure my midlife crisis by go taking a hike. And, uh, in a nice other, way. <laughs> yeah, and on the other side of the world. <laughs> so, uh, so that is, you know, is this all there is? It should have, you know, from sort of a standard um, inquiry about what what you need for meaning meaningful life. I I had it all, but yet that that spirit of adventure, that need to experience something new and different. That part of my soul was not being fed, and uh, Alicia recognized that. So that's that kind of is what kicks that book off. Well, and I think more husbands need to be told to go get a hike like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, since I, I went back 14 times, um, she, uh, she took a she lot of hikes. <laughs> yeah, she, she may have thought that maybe she, I took it a little further than what she had expected. You literally took those hikes. Yeah, I literally took those hikes. Um, yeah. So, you know, took the, uh, what's generally considered the, the highest hike in the world, um, Base camp is about eighteen thousand feet elevation, so wow. it, it was it was just such a wonderful experience. Though I, I just I love the majestic beauty of the Himalayas. You know, having grown up here in the Midwest where we don't have mountains, and I, I also just um, really fell in love with uh, the the culture, the people that live up in the the high Himalayas. Um, they Sir Edmund Hillary described them as the strongest and the kindest people in the world. And my my experience was the same as his. So I just, just kept wanting to go back. Yeah, I, I, I know a few people from Nepal and it's they're truly amazing that really they're heart centered and they wanna see the best for uh, for a lot of people, right? Uh, yeah. They're big on education too. So everything that you've done and and that that I've that I've seen and what I've gotten in your bios and what we've shared over our time of communicating to one another is education is important to you. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been teaching a class at Butler University about philanthropy um, off and on for uh, almost ten years now. And uh, interestingly, this uh, area called Basa, which was really completely untouched by the outside world um, until uh, the late uh, 1990s, early 2000, um, when I, I first went to Basa in 2008, and my trekking group was only the second group of what they called white people had ever been um, to that area of Nepal. And the first thing that uh, the village asked for, asked for help from the outside world was a school. Um, you had to hike for two hours to get to the nearest school. And so the village wanted to have its own school. And so that, that was the first project I worked on. And you've worked on multiple nonprofits. What is it about nonprofit organizations, Jeff? Well, they need help. Um, you know, most most nonprofits, uh, you know, since they can't have a business that actually makes a profit, uh, they they're often struggling for volunteers, struggling for money, and um, so. Uh, so that so they have needs, and I I grew up in a uh, a culture and environment that I was taught as a child that if you can you should give, and those of those of us who uh, have been given plenty should give back, and I was given a, a good education, a good upbringing, and uh, enough, you know, drive, talent, intelligence, or the the innate um gifts that i don't have i can't claim any responsibility for i just got them um so i've always felt like i should try to give back 
So how did you get to be a millionaire before you were 40? <laughs> uh, the, the law was very good to me. Um, I, I started out uh, working for a nonprofit. Um, I started out working for a legal services organization, was, you know, I think kind of a young legal crusade, idealistic crusader wanting to use the law to save the world and, and did some really good things. But after a few years, uh, I saw my, my classmates from law school driving fancy cars and buying big houses in the suburbs. And I finally decided, yeah, man, I want some of that too. So uh, went to work for a big firm, kind of learned the business side of law. And then with uh, two of my best friends in the firm, we started our own firm and um it for me it went well um i think you know at least back then law was uh, something that if you worked hard and you were good at it uh it was hard not to make a lot of money um so you know i worked hard and i was pretty good at it well exactly you know because it shows you're good like just seeing what you what you've given me and what you've shared with me you know you you're a real determined person and you know you get the job done you get the results and that so out of all of the foundations that you've worked on and are a part of what is your favorite one well my favorite one is the one that i started which is the Basa village foundation um it's you know, I mean, we, we, we started with nothing. Uh, it was just, uh, it was an idea uh, of m mine, but not mine alone. My uh, kind of partner in Nepal, a guy named Niru Rai, who uh, owns a trekking company called Adventure Geotreks that I've been using as the trekking company that I, to organize treks with. Um, He's, uh, he's from Basa Village, and he had started uh, with the help of another foundation, the school there, and it only had three grades. And so after I uh, met Niru and a bunch of uh, guys from Basa, because they work as the porters and the guides and the cooks, um, the crew for our expedition, they asked me if I could raise $5,000 and with $5,000, they could add a fourth and a fifth grade to the school. They could, you know, uh, extend the school, uh, pay two more teachers salaries. Um, and so, you know, I thought $5,000 to give the, these village kids, these beautiful children, two more years of education and, and provide jobs um, for two teachers, uh, you know, how can you say no to that? So that's what, so I, I asked um, a number of my trekking friends and uh, I was uh, attending a Quaker meeting at the time called, and still do, called First Friends Indianapolis, asked if, if it wanted to help and we very quickly, easily, raised um, six thousand uh, dollars so sent that to nepal uh, took a group with me over to visit basa for the first time and we were li literally 
covered in flowers when we arrived at the village. And that's where that picture comes from that you see yeah. in the bottom here. Yeah, and that's that's after I've taken a whole bunch <laughs> of the flowers <laughs> off. <laughs> um, but yeah, so every, every time I've been to the village, uh, and I've been there five times now, um, the, the way we are greeted is all the villagers line up under this arch uh, made of flowers, and then they just, they put one lay, you know, a, a, a wreath or necklace of flowers on you. Every single member of the village does that. So, you know, if there's, uh, if there's five or 10 people and there's 250 to 300 people putting flowers on you, you're, you are pretty much covered in flowers by the time you get through the greeting line. I always wanted to ask you about that picture when you sent it to me. I was like, what are all these flowers for? I always thought of Hawaii because they do that in Hawaii too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really interesting because I've uh, written about other indigenous cultures, uh, particularly uh, in the, the South Pacific Islands um, and uh, and also the uh, Sioux, the Sioux Nation uh, here in the U.S., and th there's a, a lot of similarities between indigenous cultures that are on, you know, completely opposite sides of the world. The, the sort of the, the animism, the spirituality of, of uh, God or divinity being everywhere and nature. Um, it, it's really, you know, I mean, it's very interesting how that, kind of that ground and well that, like we were talking about before we came on the air the groundedness yep. is so much a part of uh that type of culture which is is something i just i, I love um being connected with myself yeah before we before the show started we were talking about the ground the mud and the sand and all that because i was talking about my granddaughter having her first sandbox and eating sand and my i told my daughter she, she'll be fine <laughs> and that I don't know how many mud pies even to this day if I pass a certain kind of uh, sand or mud or something I'm like oh my god that reminds me of a, of my childhood you know where we used to make the mud pies and I remember one year we made mud pies and we had put them in the oven and my dad came home from work and he was like what are you guys doing? we're making mud pies daddy <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I I, I... <laughs> I shared with you my own <laughs> version of that when uh, I, I my family moved one time uh, in Goshen to on the other side of the town, <laughs> and so to impress a couple new girls I, I met in my new neighborhood, I took a graham cracker, scooped up mud, uh, and ate the mud-covered graham cracker to impress those girls. And, yeah, uh, I didn't. What we to, won't do to impress a girl, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so especially at seven years old. <laughs> but it, as we were saying before the show started, was we need that grounding back again. You know, people are not grounding enough anymore. They're not going on adventures anymore. And here you have gone to the Himalayan mountains fourteen times. Like the experience must be different each and every time. That's why you keep returning. I'm sure. Yeah, it is. Um, just, uh, you know, so the pandemic uh, has really largely 
you know, shut down uh, tourism in Nepal. Uh, but just this morning, I, I got an email uh, with some pictures from a, a guy that I, with my with my uh, partner Niru, that we organized a trek just for him. Uh, I mean, he's one of the few who've been bold enough uh, to go this early. Um, Although I have two other groups, they're going in October finally. But uh, and he, you know, the same thing. He he'd never been there before, but his email was just flowing with with joy of the experience that he had, and he he raved about the the kindness of uh, his Sirdar. That's the the chief guide, uh, my, our friend Booty Rai, who is from Bassa. Um, and how he just felt, you know, he felt safe the whole time, even though he'd never been in mountains this high. And, you know, it was a, you know, it's a real adventure, but because the crew is just so good at looking after our people. Um, yeah, I mean, he just had a wonderful experience. So I, I'm really looking forward to helping more people to be able to have those kind of experiences once again, because it's been on hold for three years now. Oh, wow. So, so in, order, in order to go to the these expeditions, do you have to have like professional guides uh, or do you have to have like a year planning ahead of time? Like how does it work to go to climb the mountains? Yeah, well, <clears throat> there's, um, you know, a number of uh, companies based in the U.S., but um, I've for a long time been recommending people uh, just connect directly with, uh, if, you, if you wanna go to the Nepal Himalayas with a, a company based in Kathmandu in Nepal, uh, it'll save you a lot of money because the American companies will pay an American guide far more than local guides in Nepal get paid. Plus they have to pay all of his or her expenses uh, to fly over, which is expensive. And um, so you, and, and then what you discover, cause the first two times I went over there, I went through an American company. What I discovered is the local, so the American guide has a Nepali guide and all the crew are Nepali and the Nepali guide, the Sirdar is doing everything and it's kind of like, you know, after a while, you're scratching your head and say, why am I paying this American guy where all he's doing is trying to he's be getting a of, free trip. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, OK, well, we're having fun dinner conversations. But really, I'm really much more interested in, in hearing what the Nepali guys have to say than you. Um, and so uh, so what I, I do is I, I help um, Americans to plan out. A, a trek or a mountaineering expedition, and then connect them with Adventure Geotrex, um, with, who Nero Rai owns that, and is, mo is staffed almost primarily by guys from Bassa. Um, and, you know, they, they take care of everything. And if I go, then I'm, I'm just another member of the group i mean i you know obviously have a lot more experience and can add some color maybe to the conversations but 
these Nepali Sirdars are like supermen. These guys will speak to at least some level all of the major European languages, obviously oh, wow. English. Uh, I mean, they'll speak seven, eight languages. They speak multiple local dialects because every area of Nepal has its own tribal, ethnic tribal language. Um, and they're super strong, have amazing endurance, and they have just the sweetest personalities <laughs> you can imagine. So it's just, you know, it's just delightful spending time um, with them. And, and that's the kind of response I, I got in the email from um, my friend, uh, Paul, who, who just got back. Uh, so it, it, it's very rare for somebody not to have a, just a, an incredible experience uh, trekking in the Himalayas, as, as long as you, you know, you get connected with a, a good trekking company. So how long does it take to climb that mountain? Well, uh, okay, so, you know, people tend to think of Mount Everest as the only mountain. I have never climbed Mount Everest, and I never will. And 90% of the people who are trying to climb Mount Everest have no business doing it. It's the highest mountain in the world. It should be reserved for elite mountaineers. But unfortunately, most of the people trying to climb it are rich Americans and Europeans because it's a big ego thing to them. And most of them fail. Um, for one, uh, only one of 10 people who try to summit, summit for every 100 people that um, attempt to summit, somebody dies. Wow. Um, thousands of people have died on Mount Everest because there's way too many people climbing it and people who are not trained properly don't have the skill. But there's, you know, there's hundreds of mountains in the Himalayas. And so, it, you know, if you, so there's trekking, which is basically hiking and camping or staying in lodges where you trek through the mountains and you go over some high passes. But um, the difference between trekking and mountain climbing is you, unless you fall, <laughs> you shouldn't have to use your hands on a trek. It's all okay. hiking. Now you, you probably will use trekking poles um, but then in a mountaineering expedition or a climbing expedition, you will do actual mountain climbing using ropes and uh, crampons and ice axes, uh, all that stuff. And there's, like I said, you know, there's a hundreds of mountains in the Himalayas to climb where you can either be the only climbing team on a mountain or there will be a few other teams on the mountain. I mean, Mount Everest Base Camp is a small city during the spring and fall climbing seasons. It's it's packed with people, <laughs> and it's it's a traffic jam trying to get up the mountain. So, oh wow! Yeah, and that's that's why a lot of people die because you have to get up and down in time. If you get stuck up there overnight, you're dead. You're you're not going to survive. Wow. I like that you're giving that education as well, right? Because a lot of people just think, oh, well, I'm going to go mountain climbing without understanding that you do need to have some 
knowledge of how to do it, right? Because like you said, Mount Everest, like I've, I've heard some really stories where people just don't make it. Like, why are they even climbing that? Like, and it's like you said, an ego boost, you know, like I did this, I climbed, you know, and some of them, it's a personal goal or a challenge, but they, they don't have the experience or the expertise to do it or get the right resources. Like you said, like you hire somebody from the American, from American, but the Nepal guy is doing everything, you know? So we, we really need to start educating ourselves and understanding that certain people can do things and other people just want to do them without understanding that they can't do it. You know, I, I now I want to get into a little bit more, Jeff, about your books. You have 13 incredible books and you have a bunch of articles. What got you into writing? Um, I grew up in a family of journalists. Um, so my, my mom, was a journalist and became the city editor of our lo local newspaper. My um, step-grandfather was the editor-in-chief. Um, my stepfather became the editor. Uh, and, and so I, you know, kind of all my childhood, I, newspaper journalism was a big part of my life. And then my wife, uh, was a novelist. She published her first novel when she was 21, uh, became an English professor. Uh, and so, you know, I've just, I've been surrounded by, by uh, other, my brother is the editor of a, a political newsletter. Um, so that, you know, that was part of it. And, and I, I, I eventually became addicted to it. I, I, I kind of laughingly say I have two addictions, um, exercise and writing. I, if I go through a day where I haven't exercised or I haven't written something, I, I just don't feel right. And so almost seven days a week, every week I write something and and I exercise to some extent. So, you know. Well, yeah, you, and you were busy. You were busy before tea time. Like you had cut the grass and <laughs> done some pickleball. That's what you had said, pickleball. And I wanted to get into that pickleball because I don't know what pickleball is. And for all the listeners and viewers that are watching now or watching the replay later, what is pickleball? Well, it, it's a very fun game, and it's played mostly by old farts like me. It's. <laughs> it's That's why I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're way too young for it, Liz. <laughs> you ain't in you that another, area yet. <laughs> yeah, you need another twenty or thirty years. <laughs> I'm but, almost uh, going to be fifty, so. <laughs> well, you're 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 getting close. <laughs> oh, getting close. Okay, that's good. Um. But uh, it, it really is. It's played mostly by retired uh, folks. It's on kind of a downsized tennis court with a net. It's played with a whiffle ball and with paddles that are sort of like oversized ping pong paddles. Oh. So the, the court is smaller than tennis, so you don't run as much as tennis. Um, the paddle is smaller, so it doesn't put as much stress on your shoulder and elbow. Um, and, and the game is really kind of designed to, to be sort of like an easy, um, a, a, an easier game of tennis. It's a lot like tennis, the rules are. And it's, it is mostly played by older people, 
but it's the fastest growing sport in the world. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, here, like here in Indianapolis, when I was introduced to the game, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> and when I was introduced to the game um, uh, three or four years ago, um, I, I, <laughs> I went to this group and I looked around and I <laughs> wow. I'm one of the youngest people here, which so having, see, I could start learning it. <laughs> yeah. So having played in tennis and volleyball uh, and basketball leagues for years, where I was getting older and older, and then I'm looking around. Oh my God, I'm the oldest guy in on this volleyball team, or the oldest guy in this tennis league. You know, it was kind of delightful to uh, uh, get introduced to a sport where I, I'm not so old, um, but so it's an easy sport to pick up for people that have played racket sports before. And if you're, you know, it's it, it good eye-hand coordination, kind of a rhythm um, coordination, and you'll p you pick it up very easily. So it's like tennis and ping pong. Yeah, uh-huh. So a mix of both. It is, yeah. It's sort of like you playing tennis on a smaller court with a ping pong paddle, but with a wiffle ball. With a wiffle ball. Yeah. <laughs> so what does this ball look like? Like, is it like a, a bigger version of a pin ball, I'm guessing? Well, it's the same size as a tennis ball, only it has holes in it, and it's made of hard plastic. Oh. And so it's a lot lighter than a tennis ball. And so when you see a lot of people who play tennis for a long time develop tennis elbow, which I did. And eventually it's you, you get tendonitis in your elbow because when you hit the ball hard, it puts a lot of stress on the tendons and ligaments in your elbow. And um, so whereas hitting a wiffle ball because the ball is so much lighter and you're using a paddle, which is so much lighter, that puts very little stress on the elbow. So that's why it's, it's, it's easier on older elbows. Wow, I'm gonna have to try pickleball. I'll be the youngest one on the court. <laughs> yep, I'm, no doubt. <laughs> I, I have just never heard of it. When I, when I, when I seen that, I was like, pickleball? What is that? Like somebody chasing a pickle with a ball? Like <laughs> it wasn't even anything yeah. I would. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Play, we, we play, we hold pickles and whack balls with our pickles. Okay. Now don't go there because that could definitely go downstream. Um, but, <laughs> but so the, the, the last book I wrote was a novel centered around a pickleball group, but it's a, international spy, murder, mystery, CIA, uh, Al-Qaeda terrorists. It, it has all this other stuff um, involved, uh, this kind of international conspiracy that the, these um, pickleball players in Ohio somehow <laughs> get sucked into. And uh, I, I, I wrote that. Um, because it's a little unusual or a little different than the sort of writing I normally do. But, you know, Mark Twain had the famous uh, advice to writers is write what you know. Yep. Well, for yeah. the last uh, two years, two and a half years, because of the pandemic, I've been playing a lot of pickleball. And so it's like, 
I've really gotten to know this game well, because all these other activities I normally do, I haven't done for two and a half, three years now. And uh, so I decided I wanted to write something about pickleball, but I didn't want to just write about pickleball. So I, you know, created this conspiracy um, spy murder mystery novel. But the guy who's the protagonist is just learning how to play pickleball. So through the first part of the book, because he's learning how to play, it also teaches the reader how to play the game. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. And I, well, I, I, I like the I like the mystery of it, right? It's almost like mystery stories, uh, uh, unsolved mysteries or something. No, unsolved mysteries is another thing. I'm thinking of a show in the '80s here. Um, yeah, now you're dating yourself there. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, maybe, maybe you are old enough to play pickleball. <laughs> I told you, I'm almost going to be 50. I'm going to be 48 on the 17th, so. <laughs> I'm getting there. Uh, I like I like the older stuff. I love the the black and white movies and that. And and there was uh, a show where they had a mystery, a murder mystery, who 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 killed that person, right? And they had like a storyline to it. So similar similar to that is what you did with that story, right? Yeah, I'd written a a legal thriller before, um, which was a lot of fun to write because it was based on an actual case I had. Um, and I'd, I'd written um, a, a, a sports, a novel, a, kind of a, a football uh, comedy romance book based on my college football team. So, you know, trying to integrate uh, a sport into a novel uh, was something I've done before, um, but uh, I, not, not pickleball. Well, I'm going to have to look more into this pickleball because now you got my curiosity. Like, I'm just like, I got to check this out. Maybe I'll be the youngest one. Maybe I, I, I don't even know if there's pickleball in Cornwall. I'll have to see if there is. I'll bet there involved. is. Well, you said it's the fastest growing sport out there, right? So it is. So mm-hmm. and that's, I, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to say, I, I, I was encouraged to come check out pickleball because of Jeff. <laughs> Good. And, and tell them to read my book. There you go. So how can people get your books? Because you you have 13 books out, right? Yeah, I, I have a website, which is my full name, uh, Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, Raisley, R-A-S-L-E-Y. Um, and uh, then there, I have a page on Amazon, an author page, and they can Google my name or go to Amazon and, and input my name and you'll find my books. That's that's, or go to my website. That's the easiest way. Yeah. And the website is up here for anybody who's watching the show for anybody who's listening to the audio on the audio platforms. It is all in the description. Everything that Jeff has given me will be in the description. So you are able to reach out and contact Jeff as well. So before we wrap up your tea time, we're getting close to the end. We have a few minutes left. What is your tea, Jeff? <laughs> and, and we we laughed about this before we went on the air because I wrote you a couple days ago. You warned me. And I said, okay, I've got one, but I'm not sure I'll be able to remember it. But I do. Um, 
so TEA, it's T. Wow, I almost forgot. It for a <laughs> I second. should have bet. It, I knew I should yeah, have bet. You, you, you jinxed. You jinxed me. Or I jinxed myself. It's I did. I waited long enough to see if you would remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got it. It's back there. My frontal lobe has recaptured it. Uh, teach everyone activism. Oh, you got it. Oh, <laughs> good thing I didn't bet. <laughs> well, I, I just finished um, final papers uh, for the class I teach uh, at Butler University. So I, I'm used to grading other people. And here I, I had to set myself up to get graded by you. Liz. I, I passed. There you go. You pass. And I'm glad I didn't bet. <laughs> <laughs> But it actually tells you who you are as well, Jeff, because you are a teacher, you teach, right? So, and teaching has always been a part of your life. Everyone, you're, you're involved with everyone. You're involved in multiple organizations and stuff in that as well. And the activism is very important to you. And that is something that you're leading your future with by activating, by showing people to really get involved, you know, and be that activism. If something's not right or you want change, stand up and be that person. So you actually told me who you were with a cup of tea. And that's what I do is I spill tea that way. So I'm really glad that you remembered your tea. So I had it marked down here and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to get it. So well, I, I had my cup. So there you go. And it was in the front lobe. So, you know, so but this is what we do, right? Is we teach in different ways. We educate in different ways. And you you teach through self-awareness and activism and getting involved and taking those hikes. You know, when your wife says take a hike, you literally take a hike and you, you make a difference and you connect with people. Now, you also do some photographing, correct? Yes. So where can they find your photographs? Well, I've had a lot of photographs published over the years in different um, magazines and journals. Uh, on my website, if you, um, th there's a number of links on it. And one of the links is, I think that the, the link is called uh, something like some of Jeff's published articles or some published articles, something like that. And that, that has then the links within that page are links to articles I've written. So there's um, photographs there. Uh, also on my website, I have links to um, uh, a bunch of the tracks that I've done with Adventure GeoTrex, and those have pictures in them. So you can, like there'll be a, <clears throat> a link that'll say something like, you know, 2013 Trek to Bassa Village. And then that'll have pictures of you know, along the way to Bossa Village. Um, and so that, that's, you know, that, that's really the, the best way to see. And also there's a link to my email on the website. I mean, if anybody really just wants to connect personally with me, I'm happy to connect by email. And I, 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 re I really enjoy doing photography and the photography I've done that's been published has either been in the Himalayas or uh, on island adventures. I, I wrote a book called Island Adventures, uh, Disconnecting in the South Pacific and Caribbean. 
And the, in that book, there's a lot of pictures uh, from the adventures I had on those different islands from hiking and kayaking and scuba diving, and also just getting to know the local culture on different islands. So you're real adventurous, like you went scuba diving, mountain climbing, uh, canoeing. You, you've been all, all over, haven't you? Well, when I was um, 18, to my parents' great consternation, I dropped out of college after one semester and hitchhiked across the country. Um, then the next uh, summer, I went to school in England for half the summer and hitchhiked across Europe the other half. And wow. then the next summer, I took a motorcycle trip from northern Indiana all the way down through Mexico um, before my my bike got wrecked and my partner's bike got stolen. And we had traveled 7,000 miles on our motorcycles and then had to hitchhike home. Um, so, you know, I started off at an early age um, adventuring and just haven't run out of the desire for adventure yet. So what is it about the adventure that gets you? Well, I think part of it was that I grew up in this small town where everybody knew everybody. And okay. I had a very stable um, life, uh, stable family, surrounded by uh, love and generations of older people. Um, like my great grandmother lived to be 98. She died when I was 17 and had these great, great aunts. And, and um, you know, uh, it gave me a really solid foundation that um, I, instead of being afraid of trying other things, I was really curious. I, I wanted to meet other people. Uh, I wanted to see other places. I wanted to experience other cultures. And I wanted to test myself. Um, so, you know, that's what you do in an adventure. So for anyone who's watching now or watching the replay later and listening, uh, all of the information that I'm popping up, for the audio ones you won't be seeing us, but I'm putting up all of the links and locations where you can find Jeff. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to him, have him on your podcast, because you have done over 100 radio shows and podcasts, I believe, as well. Right, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> so if anybody is interested in having you as a guest, how could they reach you? Through the website? Yeah, yeah, through the website, because like I said, there's a link to my email. So, yeah. It's I always like to meet new people. And, you, and, and you're, you're such a hoot. Like, I learned how to play pickleball. Well, not play it, but <laughs> understand it. You're inspired. I'll actually, I'll actually take a picture of me playing pickleball once I find <laughs> if there is pickleball in Cornwall. I'm sure there is because in Cornwall, it's an aging population. So I'm sure we do have it here. Uh, so what message would you like to give to all the listeners and viewers out there today about self-awareness? Well, like, you know, so I said my tea would be teach everyone activism. I guess what I would hope is that everyone learn activism, that, you know, learn what turns you on, but that turns you on in a way that connects you with other people, um, that connects you with nature and, you know, give, give back 
to the natural world by conserving it and give back to people who are less fortunate than you through philanthropy and nonprofits and experience. And, you know, don't, you know, don't do it as sort of a martyr doormat, uh, you know, do it in a way that fulfills you and that you, you know, that you, that you get enthusiastic about and that, that feels like an adventure. Well, the passion, right? If, you, if you're doing it just because you can, then you're not really doing it for the right reasons. I, I, I tell that to my kids all the time. Do it because you want to, not because you feel you have to, or because you want, you want to just have that as a checklist, you know, like uh, the bucket list. Uh, you know, I did this, I did this, but did you really fulfill you? Did it actually give you a lesson? You know, did it actually bless you? Did you actually bless somebody else by doing this? You know, uh, I, you have done so much with the nonprofits, Jeff. So what nonprofit is the one that you're the most engaged in? I know you mentioned the BASA, but there's other ones in your area in in, in Indiana, right? That you're a part of? Yeah. Um, well, the two others that um, are most important to me, uh, one is called Scientech Foundation. And on, I'm on the board of that foundation. And we give away um, over $200,000 every year to educational programs with that have an emphasis on STEM. Um, and we, we, we give to programs that will uh, bring girls into STEM at an early age because that's uh, been, a, you know, kind of a deficit area, but also for kids of all different ages from preschool up through college. And then the other one is the Indianapolis Peace and Justice Center, which uh, is, uh, it used to be an activist organization in terms of uh, political involvement, but as the members have, <laughs> have aged, it's turned into a primarily an educational um, center. We do programs uh, on uh, issues of importance, like we do programs on uh, proper safety of guns. We do programs on, uh, you know, fighting racism, racial justice. Uh, next week, I'm giving the, the program, and it's on uh, the history of relations between the U.S. government and Native nations with a focus on uh, the Sioux Nation. Um, because of personal involvement, my family, uh, I had an ancestor who was a troop leader at Wounded Knee and participated in the, the massacre. And so I've made a pilgrimage to Wounded Knee, learned a lot about that and wrote a book about it. So I'm gonna do a program that's just kind of tells the story of uh, my ancestor, but also um, goes through the way, I mean, basically the genocide that uh, the US government committed against uh, many native tribes and the progress that has actually been made uh, through the Biden administration, who has uh, given $32.2 billion, the largest amount of money ever allocated by the US government for native communities. Um, wow. So. 
You, you mentioned the word STEM. What does STEM stand for? Uh, science, uh, technology, uh, engineering, meta and medicine. So kind of the the hard, the the techie science, health um, side of education. I've never I've never heard of it. That's why I was asking. Yeah, I I prefer STEAM, which adds the A of arts, um, but our uh, uh, our foundation bylaws, uh, the, the organization was created to focus on uh, science, um, which is science, <clears throat> science and technology. But we're we're kind of uh, some, <laughs> believe it or not, younger. Some of the younger <laughs> members. Uh, I feel board. like I fit in now. <laughs> yeah, are tr are trying to get us to lean in a way that also includes art. Uh, so we're, we're, we're now trying to advocate for STEAM. I, I like that because art is important. Art is, it opens the mind as well, right? Absolutely. Like photographing, writing, uh, painting, uh, drawing, you know, we need more of that. We need more of that engagement on the paper and releasing and that, you know, the hands need to be busy not on technology all the time, but through the arts as well. Yeah, I've learned and, I've learned a lot about the arts. So. Well, and there's been so much emphasis on technology. I mean, the whole the computer revolution, the internet revolution, and video games, um, uh, virtual reality, all that stuff. So many young people grow up with that. And uh, we, we need to encourage the humanities, the arts. Um, and if you, if you look at majors of college students, it, it used to be fairly evenly divided between the arts and sciences or humanities and sciences. It's way overbalanced now. Yeah. Far fewer humanities majors, far more science, engineering, pre-med, um, tech, uh, oriented majors and uh, humanities are struggling. I, I, I fully agree with that. Humanity needs to come back. Like we need to get more activism and we need more passion. Like I find that there's no passion in the world anymore. There's everyone is just so like I was saying before we got on online for tea time was we're not interacting anymore. We're not having open dialogue. It's short answers or or this broke up language, you know, uh, like these acclimates that are being used. Like for the longest time, I didn't even know what TBH was. And my son finally told me after months, cause I seen all of my nieces and nephews and my kids putting this on their Facebook, TBH, TBH. And I was like, what is that TBH? And he's like, to be honest. And I said, well, what do you have to lie about? Like, I, I wasn't understanding it, but it was their way of saying that they were being to be honest about something, but they never told us what they were being honest about. It was just a TBH all the time. So, but that was their way of saying, we have something to tell you, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And, but I never did understand that TBH and I still don't understand it to this day. So, but there's other acclimates that people are using, like the LOL. How many people use that LOL and are not even actually laughing when they put that LOL? You know, laugh out loud and no one's even laughing. You're just putting LOL because they just feel programmed and 
that's the end thing, right? Everyone puts LOL. You know, we could have a serious conversation and someone's putting LOL at the end of it. Like, what's funny about it? Like, I'm, I'm not understanding it. The humanity needs to come back. I'm big on humanity and activism and promoting peace and education and stuff like that. So I want to thank you, Jeff, for joining me today on Tea Time and that. And for anyone that doesn't know what activism is or philanthropy, could you share that before we wrap up your Tea Time? Yeah, well, um, philanthropy, the, the word comes from the ancient Greek, which is philos anthropos, which means love of humanity. And so philanthropy is engaging in acts that express your love for humanity. Uh, and then activism is putting into action uh, that love, uh, whether it's political or community-based or neighborhood or whatever, it's you know getting out, put, putting yourself out and uh, not just sitting back and living through a screen, which too many of us seem to be doing. Yeah, way too many. We need to get outside and play pickleball. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one way to be active. Us youngsters need to learn how to play pickleball out there. That's right. Run us old guys around. <laughs> I'm really interested in learning about pickleball more in that. So, Jeff, thank you for joining me today on Tea Time. And thank you to the viewers who are listening and watching. I appreciate all your support. The next tea time that is coming up is a self-healing tea time. A lady who was in a deep depression for one year who stayed in her bed and now is learning to release herself through energy, through her spiritual awareness of who she is and that. So it will be a really interesting tea time. Uh, really beautiful soul. Uh, so Catherine will be joining me next week on Thursday at 3 p.m. Um, not sure of the date here as at the moment and then i will be releasing june's guest also on the 20th of may so look out for that uh june will be a full month i have some one day i have two tea times in one day so look out for that i'm doing something different each and every month and i want to see if the viewers and listeners are paying attention and seeing all the little glitches and little things that miss liz is adding each and every month because at the end of the year, we do do have a reunion show of all the Tea Time guests, and I bring them all back, those that can make it, and they get to connect with other Tea Time guests and see if they can work along along with each other and align and bring connect and connect humanity one dot at a time, one cup of tea at a time. So again, thank you to all the listeners and viewers out there, and I will see you next Thursday, 3 p.m., same time, same place, for a new cup of tea, and we will make a difference one cup of tea at a time. So thank you. Thank you, Liz.